Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagore, and welcome to the What's Up webcast here at Skywatcher. Um, if you've never joined us before, the What's Up webcast takes place every Friday right here on the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. And we cover everything that we can basically get our hands on in the field of astronomy. We check out different equipment, what's up in the nighttime sky, to, you know, helpful hints and tips, uh, pretty much anything that we want to cover. Um, and this week it will be no different. Uh, this week we're talking about visual filters and when to use them in your setup. Uh, last year we did a episode, uh, this is the episode right here actually if you're looking for it. We did an episode on visual filters which basically um, covers how to, basically covers the science of filters and what they do. Well, from that episode, we had several people asking, how do I know when to use which filter? And that's what we're going to cover today, is basically taking that topic and expanding upon it. So if you want to know about the science of filters, go ahead and go back um, in our uh, library here on our channel. Look up this uh, webcast, the Visual Filters webcast. We talk about wavelength and bandpass and narrowband and broadband and all the different terminology for filters we cover in that episode. So all that material um, will now apply to this episode here. Um, you don't need to watch them together, but if you want to know some of the backstory and information, this episode is the one that we're talking about. Um, so again, if you're just joining us for the first time, thank you very much. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Uh, the What's Up web webcast takes uh, takes place 10 a.m. Pacific here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. These are live at the time of recording, but um, these are recorded um, afterwards, so they're saved here on our YouTube channel. So you can go back and watch them if there's something you missed or you didn't get to join us. Um, but for those of you who are here live with us, thank you very much, and good morning and happy Friday. So... Um, if you enjoy our webcast, the uh, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. It does keep you notified for any future episodes. We are putting together some final um, scheduling for a lot of our future episodes, pretty much out almost until summer. So we're going to be posting a lot of that, so you'll see what's coming up here soon. And if you're subscribed, you'll get notifications to see what's coming up. Uh, if you like what we're doing and you have some questions about it, or maybe there's something that you have an idea for or we didn't cover, you can go ahead and email us at support at skywatchingusa.com and just title it What's Up. That way we know it's about the webcast and we'll be happy to take a look at what you're interested in um, or your comments and stuff like that as well. So thanks again for being here on your Friday morning. So first off, Let's get started. Why filters? You know, there's a lot of us out there. The holidays have just ended, so some of you might be watching wondering, what should I add to my telescope next? Um, maybe you are well-versed in this. This is maybe review for you, or you're just in between. Maybe you're not sure which filter to get uh, overall. There's several different types of filters for visual, and this week is all about visual. Uh, next week we'll be doing an imaging version of this talk, but this week's all visual. So filters. 
Uh, filters are really an aid um, to observing objects. Um, it They can do a number of things. Uh, they can increase contrast, they can reduce glare, uh, they can do a lot of different things, reduce light pollution, which is a big uh, thing right now. A lot of us are observing from home, so of course light pollution is a factor. So sometimes filters can assist in seeing different objects and bringing out certain details that we want to see and reducing you know glare on bright objects so we can we can see certain details that we might want to see uh, but there's one big caveat that i want to mention here really really quick about filters is filters will never ever make up for aperture or going to a dark sky um, if you cannot see it in your telescope using a filter is not really going to assist very much now there's a couple objects that that may um that may change just a little bit but the general rule of thumb is you know if you can't see that nebula already or a certain hint of that nebula then a filter isn't really going to assist much more a larger aperture is going to aid in that because you're going to gather more light um, and darker skies can also help with that because you don't have a loss in contrast because of the glow in the sky so filters will never make up for not having those things so just a rule of thumb there um, i have a lot of people asking you know if i get this filter if i get that filter can i see this um not necessarily, and we're going to break that down uh, by section today and talk about, you know, how that works. So, which filter? Uh, there's a lot of filters that are available to us. It's a very good time to be in astronomy because technology has really advanced in optical, um, optical capabilities and manufacturing, so there's a lot of different filters that are available to us. So, which filters? So, uh, for visual, the most basic filter that we hear of are color filters. When you get started, you probably read about these color filters that you can get in like IP sets or what have you. You can get these for observing the planets. So that's kind of the most basic filter available. Uh, then we have the polarizers and neutral, I have a typo in there, I'm sorry about that, uh, neutral density filters or ND filters as we're gonna call them uh, here. So uh, polarizers and ND filters, uh, those help reduce the glare of bright objects. And then of course after that, you have light pollution slash broadband filters. Those are a little bit more specific. They pass certain wavelengths of light while reducing or eliminating other wavelengths of light. Those really help for um, in light polluted locations where you still want to see certain wavelengths usually emitted from nebulas and galaxies and clusters and what have you and reducing the glow of street lights. Um, so broadband filters, light pollution filters, um, they're all the same category. Uh, that's another set of filters. And then of course we have the more specific filters, the narrow band filters. Those are tuned to pass a very narrow wavelength of light 
It's normally very specific to what object we're observing that's emitting light in that frequency. So it cuts out all the other wavelengths of light and just usually lets one particular wavelength um, into uh, letting it pass. But the big question that a lot of people have, especially beginners, maybe you've just got your first telescope, is when do you use each filter? What object, how do I know what filter I need to use for the given target or observing that we're doing? And that's what we're gonna be covering today. So we have four different major categories of filters. I've got all these filters in my eyepiece case. I don't know when I need to use them or how do I know what object one filter is going to work with. Um, so the big thing we need to ask ourselves is what issues are we looking to remedy with a filter? Um, when you ID the issue that you want addressed, uh, you can then figure out what filter or which tool in the tool case um, goes into that. So we're going to break this down into sections. We're going to do the moon, the planets, and deep sky. Those are the three major categories of filtration for nighttime observing. Um, we're not talking about the sun. We did a whole series on the sun last October. You can go back and learn all about solar filters in our previous episodes. So this is just nighttime viewing um, right now. So filters for the moon are what we're going to start with. So. The moon is the biggest, brightest thing in the nighttime sky. It's probably one of the first things that we actually get to see through a telescope. And regularly, it's also one of the first objects that comes up uh, for accessories to better observe it in our equipment. So the first thing that we need to look for is what are the reasons that we may need a filter installed in the, the light path. So the two big things that come up for the moon is it's too bright and there's lack of contrast. And a lot of this really has to do with when you're observing the moon, being that the moon goes through phases. Obviously right now we're in a very thin crescent and we're gonna be moving into first quarter and then the moon, full moon and so on and so forth through the phases. So um, there's a lot of people out there that think the best time to observe the moon is when it's full. That's not necessarily true because you're, you don't have any shadows to give you that contrast and seeing certain details on the lunar surface. So, but as we get into those brighter phases, um, there's not a lot you can do um, if you're observing at that time and it can be bright and sometimes uncomfortable. So that's the big issues that we're IDing those issues with observing the moon. It's too bright. How do I reduce that and make it more comfortable on my eye? Um, so filters to consider when you're observing the moon would be a polarizer or ND filter. Um, there are uh, moon filters out there. They're fairly inexpensive. They actually say moon filter um, on them. They're normally a neutral density of some kind. Um, you may be asking what the difference between a polarizer and an ND filter is. Um, a polarizer is, ge is generally an adjustable rotating filter with two elements of glass in there. 
and as you rotate the two they they change in darkness so that's the nice thing about uh, these uh, circular polarizers for telescopes and they're really convenient is you can use it and actually adjust how dark you want the filter to be neutral density filters are usually a single filter so they only have one piece of glass which can help with contrast because there's less glass on the chain but they are tuned to very specific densities um, or darkness levels for the particular filter of choice. And the thing with ND filters is a lot of times you need multiples or a set of them to cover a range of different darknesses that you may need for observing whatever you're observing for that given time. So a lighter or less dense uh, neutral density would probably be something used on a dimmer object and a darker or denser filter would be used on brighter objects and there's a variety of different ones you know Botter makes a whole set of ND filters or some other ones out there too you would have to buy the specific density or darkness that you're looking for for your particular observing uh, your target now the thing the difference on those one like I said earlier polarizers have two pieces of glass so it's just more glass that you have to go through um, ND filters are single so one's adjustable you can do a lot with one filter the other one is more particular and precise um, sometimes with polarizers is they can also shift the color of the object so I haven't seen that personally to be a big deal with visual observing but if you are looking to maintain the actual color of the object without shifting it in any way an ND filter can be um, useful for that because it does not shift the color um, one way or another so an advantage to ND filters at that point but both of them will reduce the glare and the brightness so that's what we're trying to address there. We ID'd that the issues that we need are it's too bright and it's lack of contrast. So by reducing the light, we can help a little bit um, with the brightness to make it a little bit more comfortable and it gets rid of the glare, but it also can aid in a little bit more contrast. Now, if you're observing the full moon, even with a filter, you're still not gonna have that nice detailed with the shadows and stuff like that on certain like ridge lines and craters where it's going to give you that that depth to the moon no filter will ever make up for that so understanding when to observe the moon is probably your best bet but a filter can also aid if it's if you're using a large telescope and it's just uncomfortably bright you can put a filter in there to help reduce the the brightness of the image. So those would be the two major filters I would recommend for observing the moon. Or if you're just getting started, they'd probably be one of the first filters to look at would be like a circular polarizer. Um, they're very useful and they can be used on a wide variety of objects, which we will be discussing as we go forward in the presentation here. Now, filters for planets. This is one that comes up quite a bit. Um, so reasons for filters are very similar to the moon. Uh, it's either too bright, lack of contrast, or there's certain details that we wanna see. 
And this is where adding certain filters can be helpful. Now, filters to consider for planetary would of course be a polarizer or an ND filter for the exact same reasons as the moon would be, where it's just too bright. Um, if you're interested in observing, you know, Mercury or Venus during the day, maybe you're at an event and you want to show people something other than the sun during the day, um, a polarizer is a great filter to put in to your optical chain uh, because it will reduce the glare and help pop the planet out of the blue sky a little bit more. So using a polarizer is really helpful for that. Um, even on the moon, if you're looking at the moon during the day, a polarizer can be helpful uh, for that as well. So something to, to play with that. Um, uh, color filters are really meant for planets. Now, color filters, uh, unlike some of these, are actually... Um, uh, where are they going with? Color filters are actually like... They're not coded so much as the glass is actually a particular color. So color filters allow you to kind of focus on those particular details. So maybe you're looking at ice caps or dark regions on Mars, or you want to take a look at the red spot on Jupiter or the bands on Jupiter, or maybe you want to pop some detail out in Saturn's rings, uh, knowing different colors, which color to use to highlight that particular detail can be helpful. And there's multiple websites online that have like a, a graph or a key or a chart actually is what I'm looking for uh, that displays each shade of color filters and will tell you kind of what details the filter of choice works for on which planet. So you know, like a blue filter can be very helpful when observing Mars to look for ice caps. So something like that. So uh, color filters are can be a good companion if you're really into the planets and you're really into observing certain details that evening. Now, the bad part about color filters, and this is kind of personal dependent on what your thought is of bad, I guess, is whatever color filter you use, it changes the whole field that color. So if you're looking at the moon and you put a red filter in there, the moon's going to look red uh, and so on and so forth. So that's something that you'd have to decide for yourself if that bothers you or not. You know, Some people it doesn't, some people it does. It's kind of a personal opinion. But color filters are very helpful for isolating certain details that we want to see on certain planets and understanding which color benefits that detail can be very, very helpful and allowing you to better observe that. Yeah, so there's a comment in the chat right now. Uh, BMW, uh, they're a German filter company. They have ND filters as well. You can get those um, and use them as well from photo companies, stuff like the B&H Photos got them, and I'm sure Amazon and so on and so forth carries those as well. Now, there's another type of filter that comes into the mix when we're observing planets, and those are the broadband filters. And there's a lot, it's pretty broad for broadband filters because there are certain filters in this category that are particularly tuned for certain uh, types of viewing. So, so the issues we need to address with planets is reducing glare which is generally handled by a polarizer or an ND filter. 
uh, improving contrast, which can also be done with uh, polarizers, but can also be done with certain uh, broadband filters. The two broadband filters that I like to use for planetary viewing, and I've brought this up before, is the Botter Moon and Sky Glow and the Botter Contrast Booster. Um, there's probably some other ones that work really well, but this is what I use in my set. The reason I like these, I'm not a big fan of the color filters. Um, I do a lot of outreach at schools and the public events. And if I were to put a blue filter or a color filter in there, um, I don't really like the way that it shifts the whole image because then you have to explain why is it green? I thought it was this. Or why is it red? I thought it was that. So if you're observing personally, color filters are a great thing to have in your set. Um, but for me, it's just not my type of observing style. So to make sure I get the benefits of building the contrast but maintaining the color, the Moon and Sky Glow and Contrast Boosters are really nice filters or very or something similar because I'm sure there are other filters that have the similar uh, band passes for this. Um, they are a broadband filter, so they work really good at reducing the glare, uh, particularly on like Jupiter. But they also allow the dust bands and stuff like that um, to pop a little bit more. So, so that's kind of where we're at at the moment with that. So I, I like that they don't really shift the color too much. They still look somewhat natural, but it still allows the detail like the cloud bands on Jupiter pop out or the dark regions and ice caps on Mars to pop out, but it still looks like Mars. It's it's not, you know, really dark red with a red filter or really kind of blue with a blue filter. It still has that natural look while maintaining uh, the advantages. So that's what's nice about the broadband filters. And then what's nice further about these two filters is because they are broadband, you can also effectively use them as light pollution filters. So that's why I don't carry a set of color filters anymore because these two filters um, allow me to have multi-role capability. I can use them for planets really effectively. It looks really good on the moon, uh, particularly the moon and sky glow can help with the glare a little bit. Plus, I can use them for light pollution suppression and uh, some basic deep sky observation with those filters. So between those two filters, I can handle three different uh, categories, deep sky, planetary, and lunar. So I'm a big fan of those. And if, like I said earlier, they can be uh, certain details. Um, the color filters really depend on the planet and the details and the broadband filters I really enjoy because they don't shift uh, the view to one particular color or the another. They still make it look somewhat natural. So that's it. So. Now, moving along, the, the big thing when it comes to filters is deep sky. This is one that this is really the category that everyone talks about when it comes to buying filters. So we already did the moon and we did the planets. Those are kind of your basic introduction to filters, but the use of filters visually really starts to come up um, in deep sky because there's a lot more particular things we want to see or a lot more difficult things we want to see where the filters will really aid in that type of observing. 
So we're going to break this section down by object type because you have to kind of understand the object you're observing in order to know what filter to use. Um, so deep sky filters, the reason for using them, of course, is reducing light pollution, improving contrast, and isolating details. Those are the three major functions of a filter when we're using them visually for deep sky observing. Now filters to consider for this type of work are light pollution or broadband filters and narrowband filters. Those are the two major types that we use for this style of observing for these particular objects. But in order to utilize them, you, you need to have a basic understanding of that object. Not every filter is just gonna make something pop out. Um, there are some filters, even if they're expensive filters, they will not necessarily do anything for that particular object. You can try it and experiment with it, and it might be interesting to see what happens on certain things, but knowing uh, which filter by object is what we're kind of trying to get. So. So let's break this up into deep sky uh, objects. So first we're gonna talk about galaxies. The question comes up all the time of how do I make galaxies easier to see, especially if you're a beginner. Um, so galaxies emit light in a broad range of, of wavelengths across the spectrum. And most of this is starlight it's you know a galaxy is a big city of stars billions of stars that are normally illuminating the dust and the gas that is inside there and that's basically what a galaxy is so we have to work with that and because it's basically stars emitting the light there's very little effect that filters can aid with that because they're pretty much scattering the their pushing the light out across the entire spectrum with no particular area emitting more light than another. Um, some galaxies have what's called H2 regions, which are basically nebula regions, star forming regions. Some galaxies are heavy with that. And those might be, um, you know, better suited for certain types of filters but it's really kind of here or there at that point so like andromeda which i have up on the screen it has a little bit of h2 regions which are mostly hydrogen clouds so you could maybe use a narrow band filter to talk and or we'll cover that in a second but you could maybe use a specific filter for that but the galaxy as a whole really doesn't benefit too much from any of that. So galaxies really don't respond well to filters for visual use. Now, you can use something like a light pollution filter that can kind of help with the contrast. Um, maybe you're in an area where there's a little bit too much glow in the nighttime sky and you wanna bring that down. You could put a light pollution filter in there, which can help. This will reduce the overall sky glow. Um, but really the only answer for galaxies is a bigger telescope or darker skies. Uh, filters can only go so far. Now, what I, now I, I should have put this in here, but for filters for galaxies, some good ones to consider are 
any basic light pollution filter. Uh, you know, there's Astronomic makes their CLS uh, filter. Um, op, uh, Lumicon makes their own version of a light pollution filter. Um, I can't forgot the name. I'm sorry about that. Um, but there's a lot of different filter companies uh, out there that make a general light pollution filter and they all act roughly the same. They're very similar to one another. So as long as you have a generic light pollution filter of some shape or form, that'll pretty much be the only filter that really works works on galaxies. And it's not really doing anything for the galaxy, it's just reducing the glow of the sky and maybe giving you some more contrast. But if you're in your backyard observing and you're looking at like the Andromeda galaxy or something like that and you wanna see dust lanes, Throwing in a light pollution filter to your 8-inch daub is not going to do anything. Um, the only way you're going to start seeing more detail and stuff like that is a bigger telescope to gather more light or dark skies. And you'd be impressed, if, if you haven't done it yet, if you're a beginner, you just got your telescope, you'd be impressed what your little 6- or 8-inch telescope can do from a dark sky um, with that. There's a lot of people who buy telescopes nowadays. And they're like, well, what can I see? And you kind of have to go in with the, well, it depends where you're viewing from. So there's a lot of people that will buy a four inch telescope and they'll be very disappointed with the view because it just, everything looks fuzzy. You take that same four inch telescope to a premier dark sky site and it will be massively impressive because you have the skies to back you up. So you really should learn how to best utilize your equipment for the location that you're using it in um, and try to keep your expectation levels for that, um, for that region. So if you got your telescope and you wanna see the arms of Andromeda or you wanna see the Whirlpool galaxy that bridges across between the two, you're just gonna need to go to dark skies and the aid of a larger telescope is always helpful uh, for things like that. So you, if you're just viewing from home and you want to see galaxies better, getting a light pollution filter for your 8-inch daub or something like that really isn't going to benefit you a whole heck of a lot. Um, it might help a little bit, but it's not going to make up what just isn't there. So uh, getting to dark skies, going on a camping trip with your family and taking the telescope uh, during a dark new moon weekend, that's the answer for getting those details that you want. And unfortunately, that's just... How it is now where filters really come in handy are nebulae and um, there's we have to break this category down uh, quite a bit and I forgot star clusters I just realized I didn't put star clusters in here I meant to um, real quick let's just go back to galaxies because I, I meant to put the star cluster slide in here. Um, star clusters are very, very similar to galaxies. Um, they do not respond uh, because they're just starlight. They do not respond to filters just like anything else does. So um, the nice thing about some of the star clusters is there's really not much you can do with them. 
you can get a nice view of a lot of the major clusters from a light polluted sky, but they come more impressive in a dark sky. So again, like galaxies, star clusters really just rely on dark skies and larger telescopes. So I apologize about that. I meant to put that in there um, and I passed over it. So yeah, if you're into observing star clusters, you just got to get to darker skies or get some bigger telescopes. You could use a light pollution filter. It doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. Um, it might help with the contrast a little bit, but it still looks like a bunch of little points in the sky. So whatever affects galaxies is very similar, if not the same, to what affects star clusters. Not much. You just need dark skies. You just need to go to a, a bigger telescope. That's pretty much it for those two. Now, nebulae. Uh, now, we have to break nebulae up into a broader or finer sections because there are different types of nebula, and understanding the different types will allow you to figure out which, uh, which will work for that. So. so the first one is going to be a mission nebula. And this is the category where all the filters come into play. And emission nebulas emit light across the spectrum, just like everything else does. But there are certain frequencies where that uh, light is stronger than other frequencies. And this is where using filters can become very, very helpful um, with observing these. Most of the emission nebulas, or pretty much every emission nebula, has is composed of hydrogen, ionized oxygen, and some other stuff. Now, because we know that, we can then get filters to isolate those really strong wavelengths of light being emitted from these nebulas. So broadband filters, like a light pollution filter, can be very helpful by reducing the background while letting those uh, particular wavelengths that are really highly emitted from these nebulas through. So that'll improve your contrast. Uh, narrow band filters are really what comes into play with an emission uh, nebula. Now, narrow band filters isolate wavelengths, a very particular wavelength. You'd have to choose the, the narrow band filter of choice for the particular wavelength we're talking about. And that there's a couple of them out there. So obviously we recommend broadband filters. Broadband filters are great overall. Um, and what do I mean by those? I mean light pollution filters and a UHC filter. Um, now if you're new to this, UHC is an ultra high contrast filter. And in our episode I mentioned before where we talked about visual filters last year, we talk about the UHC filter and what it does. So if you wanna know more about them, you can go back to that episode. But a UHC filter is kind of a more refined light pollution filter. It, it lets a broad wavelength of light through, but it's becoming more selective of which wavelengths are coming through. And those selected wavelengths are usually more in tune with the particular peaks um, of light that are being emitted from these nebulas. Now, there's a bunch of different ultra-high contrast filters. 
available on the market. Uh, Lumicon makes them. Astronomics makes them. I have an Astronomic UHC. It works really well. Um, Thousand Oaks Optical makes some very nice filters. They're more known for solar filters, but if you've never paid attention to their Nebula filters, those are very good. Uh, Teleview makes their own version. I think that's a team effort between them and Astronomics, but they have like a variant of a UHC. I'm not sure what they call it. Um, Optolong, that's who I spaced out on earlier. They make some nice affordable filters as well. Um, they're all very similar to one another. Um, you'd really have to take a bunch of these UHCs and put them all side by side and compare them to see which one does a little bit better than the others. Um, but overall, they are very similar. So a UHC filter is um, one of my favorite filters. I think if you're going to be getting into deep sky observing seriously, you've probably already got your polarizer and you've got maybe some color filters you've messed around with and you want to get more serious into deep sky, a UHC filter would probably be the first filter I recommend to get. And it's probably going to be a bit more expensive than your previous filters. Um, but it is probably one of the best filters to have in the case um, if you're serious about deep sky observing because it covers so many different objects uh, and works really well for a lot of different reasons. Um, so it's a good one to have. Now, in the narrowband category, we have Oxygen 3 and H-beta. Now, why are those important? So nebulas like the Orion Nebula or the Horsehead Nebula or the California Nebula or the Lagoon, the Trifid, the Eagle, um, M17, the Swan Nebula, the North American Nebula, Veil Nebula, um, Dumbbell, Ring, Helix, uh, the list goes on and on and on. Those are all emission nebulas. And the nice thing about these is because they have a lot of frequency coming off of them in hydrogen and oxygen, you can use the narrowband filters O3 or H-beta to isolate that particular frequency and get a better view of them. Um, so my personal set, my trio of filters is the UHC, the O3, and the H-beta. I think if you're doing advanced deep sky observing, those are the trio or the holy trinity, as I, was, as I would put them, kind of stealing from the photography world. Um, but the holy trinity of filters would be UHC, O3, H-beta. Um, with those three filters, you can pretty much get a solid view of pretty much anything you want. The UHC is going to be a general use. It covers the O3 and the H-beta lines as well as a little bit more and works with a wide variety of things. The O3 and the H-beta are going to be more selective. They're going to isolate particular wavelengths. So they're gonna really pop the contrast out in comparison to a UHC. So let's say um, you're observing the Orion Nebula. You've got a UHC in there, it's gonna look great because it's passing all different wavelengths. You probably got some nice contrast in there. It's reducing the light pollution and the glow. You've got a nice overall view. 
If you really want to take that up another notch, you put in the O3 filter. It's going to isolate just the ionized oxygen from that nebula, and it's going to give you the most contrast possible for that view. You, you might even notice that some of the details that you saw in the UHC are now gone because it's suppressing the rest of those wavelengths. And the H-beta is very similar. Now, an H-beta filter is pretty much pinned as the um, horse head filter. So if you want to see the horse head nebula, the H-beta is kind of the key to the castle um, for seeing that. Now, the reason being is the horse head nebula, IC434, is very heavy in hydrogen. So there's not a lot of oxygen coming from that region. So an H-beta filter is going to pass the hydrogen wavelength and allow you to see it a lot more. Now, I would... Um, when it comes to the Horsehead Nebula, there's a lot of people that say, I want to see that nebula. And that's because it's very easy as a photographic object. It takes very little effort and equipment to get a shot of the Horsehead Nebula. Visually, it's extremely difficult. It's very, very faint. And it's like looking at a black thumbprint on black tablecloth. It's difficult to see. And even with an H-beta filter, it pops it out just a little bit more, but you still need to know what you're looking for. You still need to be in a dark sky site and aperture will always win when you're trying to observe the horse head. Now, a lot of people buy the H-beta filter and just say it's the horse head filter and that's all it gets used for. It's not. An H-beta filter is very interesting when you put it on different objects. Um, the H-beta filter on Orion is stunning. It brings out a whole different view than what an Oxygen 3 filter does. So if you look at Orion with an Oxygen 3 filter, you'll probably get the wings, as we call it, those outer, as it ropes out outward from the trapezium. The O3 brings that out quite a bit, and some of that background behind the trapezium, as you see in the images, where it kind of ropes back out um, in the background. An H-beta filter really makes that background part of the nebula pop and give you this massive amount of structure. So um, using those two in combination is really not at the same time, but jumping back and forth between them, there's some interesting stuff you can see. Um, the California Nebula, which I have up on the screen, is another area that really doesn't have a whole lot of oxygen, but is very heavy in hydrogen. So the H-beta filter will really make that come out as well. Um, but the H-beta filter kind of gets put down on the list a bit. People think it's not as useful, and I probably tend to agree with that a little bit. O3 filters are much more useful because if you're into planetary nebulas like the Ring Nebula or the Dumbbell or anything like that, the O3 filter is ideal. Uh, the Veil Nebula in Cygnus with an O3 filter is ridiculous, um, especially when you get to a dark sky site with a big telescope. Um, an O3 is a must. Um, the H-beta, though, I would say is probably the third filter you should get. But don't just leave it in the case and just use it for the winter time when the horse head is up. Um, try it with other nebulas. You'd be really impressed on the different detail that actually comes out by isolating the different wavelengths of light. Um, 
so those two are are very helpful to have so like i said before um if you're looking to get filters for your telescope for deep sky observing look at a uhc filter first it's going to be kind of your swiss army knife of filters you can get the horse head with it too because it does pass h beta but it does pass a bunch of other wavelengths as, as well so you might not get the contrast um after the UHC, if you want to add something else, then go for the O3 filter. Uh, excellent filter for a wide range of targets. And then finally, if you just want to maximize everything and complete that trinity, the H-beta filter is the last one on the list I would get. Um, but they all are very effective. This time of year when I'm observing, I rotate through those three regularly, um, especially the wintertime and the summertime when we're heavy on nebulas in the sky. Those three filters are being switched out of the scopes quite a bit because of as we jump to different targets. So they're very nice to have. Um, but that's really understanding the nebula or what you're working with. So very nice filters to have. Now, reflection nebula is another type of nebula that is up in the t nighttime sky. Um, the Pleiades, the uh, Witch Head Nebula, um, there's a number of other reflection nebulas up there, but those are the two that come. Uh, so the Merope Nebula that's in the Pleiades and the Witch Head Nebula, those are, those are dust clouds or gas clouds that are basically reflecting starlight. They're not emitting any kind of light. And they're, because of that, they're just emitting light in a broad frequency. So... There is not any major filter that can assist with it. I did see a chat. I don't know if it was on Facebook or Cloudy Nights or whatever it was the last week or so. Someone was asking about how they can, what filters work on the nebula and the Pleiades. And quite frankly, none of them do. It's a reflection nebula. And a reflection nebulas do not respond to filters. You could try a light pollution filter, but just like a galaxy, it's just going to suppress kind of the broad range of glow up there so it might help see it but if it's not there it's not there um really the only time you can see reflection nebulas is very dark skies um and knowing what you're looking for they are generally difficult to catch um they probably are easier on the photographic side because um, the cameras are so much more sensitive but that's the reflection nebulas they really don't benefit from any kind of filter you really just need to get to dark skies and have the aperture to back it up. And then, of course, if you need to try a filter, you could try a sky glow um, to reduce light pollution, but it's I don't believe it's really going to help you out um, at all seeing any kind of reflection nebulas. So that's, that's kind of where it is there. So uh, the last type of nebula, my personal favorite, are the dark nebulas. Um, now, going back to the horse head really quick. The horse head is two objects. So IC434 is this hydrogen cloud right here. That's, that is the, um, that's not essentially the horse head. That's called IC434. The horse head is just this section right here, obviously. And the horse head is B33. That's its catalog number for Barnard, which is a collection of dark nebulas. Um, the horsehead itself is a dark nebula, and dark nebulas are kind of scattered across the nighttime sky. They're 
better off scene in the uh, summertime. There's a lot of them in the Sagittarius, Cygnus, uh, Scorpio, you know, main part of the Milky Way section. Really where there's heavy star um, regions. And dark nebulas, if you're not aware of them, are dust and gas blocking background starlight. So it's just like a black hole um, blocking anything. It's not a black hole physically. It's a dark nebula. And sorry about that. I didn't switch that up. So um, dark nebulas are basically just blocking background starlight. So like, frankly, like in a, in a reflection nebula, it doesn't emit anything. It's actually, you're looking for the lack thereof in the field. So because of that, because we're basically looking for light that isn't there, there's no filter that really does anything for that. Um, as I mentioned before, I brought up the Horsehead Nebula and that you need an H-beta to see it. Um, you're not actually using an H-beta to observe the Horsehead, this part right here, itself. You're actually looking for IC434 to light up in that filter, and then you're looking for the lack of nebulosity being visible where the horse head is. That's essentially what you're looking for. Um, so the H beta filter isn't actually doing anything for the horse head. What it's actually doing is it's bringing up the contrast between the horse head itself and IC434 that it sits in front of. So you can contrast between the two. So uh, that is one as well. So uh, yeah, M78 in Orion is another good one. Uh, as a reflection it's actually a reflection and dark nebula thrown into one so again there's there's not really any filter that handles that so really once again your only answer for that is dark skies and particularly with more difficult nebulas like reflection and dark nebulas is high transparency so not just a dark sky but a high altitude location that's got very good transparency is what's going to help you see some of these more difficult objects and that's pretty much it when it comes to filters it's there's a wide variety of targets that they work on um but they're very similar to one another um so emission nebulas react really well planets react well to filters and the moon and then knowing which filters to work with within those categories will help benefit um, your observing. So that's pretty much it um, for this week. Um, once again, if you really liked uh, what you saw here, if you enjoy being here on Friday with us, you can go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Uh, or if you got any questions, comments, or maybe some ideas uh, for future episodes, you can do uh, email support at skywatcherusa.com and title it What's Up. Uh, webcast. Now, next week's topic is very similar to this topic, except we're doing the imaging version of it. Um, so, imaging and astrophotography have a large collection of filters to use and can be used for a variety of different things. So, next week we're going to dive into this topic that we covered today, but from an imaging standpoint and when you should use certain filters. Uh, for that. So if you have any questions now, I'd be happy to answer them. I definitely appreciate you guys being here on your Friday morning. 
Uh, hopefully some of you got something out of this and it will always be here if you need to ever go back to this. And, you know, we, of course, enjoy having you here. Um, other than that, I definitely hope you guys have a great weekend. I don't see any questions currently floating out in the chat right now. Um, so next next week we are doing, uh, let me go back to that real quick. We're doing imaging filters and when to use them. We're going to talk about LRGB filters. We're going to talk about narrowband filters and um, a lot of that in there. Uh, good question. Um, can you use imaging filters for visual so technically, yes. Um, I actually use a green imaging filter. If you want to star test your telescope, um, using a green filter to isolate just the bright green color because our eye is most sensitive, that can kind of eliminate the seeing conditions a little bit and boiling um, in the nighttime sky. So using a green imaging filter can help with star testing. Um, where you can kind of get that on there. And you could technically use imaging narrowband filters. The problem is a lot of those narrowband filters for imaging are very, very narrow wavelengths of light that it passes through. Narrow enough to where it doesn't make any, it's too dim for our eyes to see. So that's kind of, Yes, but it's not ideal. You probably want to stick more towards visual filters because they're a little bit broader wavelengths. Let's see. Heaven for support. Got a friend looking for an 80-80 scope, scope and 80 millimeter plus 5 Viva side. Stars are outside of his price range. Um... You know, the EvoStar ED series are fairly affordable for what they are. You could check the used market, um, but anything that's got an ED element is going to be fairly expensive. So that's something that you, know, you, you might want to check the used market if you're on a tight, tight budget. Um, oh, real quick, what I meant by boiling earlier, so when you're star testing a... A telescope and you're looking into the nighttime sky a lot of times the object or the star might be shifting a lot it might look like it's moving around or boiling because of heat currents in the sky or heat currents in the telescope that's usually because you're looking at the entire visible spectrum if you can isolate one particular wavelength it can kind of help reduce that a little bit because you're not worrying if Oh, the heat is more visible in the red or the blue. If you narrow that down to one particular wavelength, you can help kind of reduce the boiling effect that you're seeing in the nighttime sky by limiting what light is being. Um, so next week, uh, we are talking about imaging filters. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, luminance, red, green, blue filters. We're going to talk about narrow band filters, hydrogen alpha, H beta, uh, O3, sulfur, or S2. Um, we'll be covering that. We are going to be covering the multi-band narrow band filters, uh, like the L-Enhance, L-Extreme, and similar filters to that. Um, there's a question here. Uh, can you cover when to use different sizes or band passes of HA filter like 3 nanometer, 7, and 12? We can kind of cover that. Um, we did cover that in 
uh, imaging episode last uh, week, or I'm sorry, last year, um, when we covered imaging filters, but I can kind of discuss that a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I'll keep that in mind when we're making the presentation. Um, so that's pretty much it. If there's anything that I missed, go ahead and email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. We appreciate you being here on your Friday morning. Um, it's going to be, we have a little thin crescent this weekend, so the moon's setting early. So if you want to get out and do some dark sky viewing, this is going to be probably the last weekend of it um, until we get closer to the next new moon. But it'll be a great weekend to get out and view as long as you got good weather. Um, but other than that, thank you very much for being here. Clear skies, and uh, we will see you guys next week. Thank you very much, guys. Take care.